0: You are listening to The Worlding Podcast, where we explore the relationship of how we are both shaping and being shaped by our surroundings. The podcast traces interconnections by inviting each episode's guest to pass on the mic to someone who has influenced their world. And now, here's your host, dance artist Renee Schadler. Welcome to the Worlding Podcast. Thank you for being here. We had such a great response to our last episode with Susanna Schmidt, which focused on her research into more than human museums and what Worlding could be. It's brilliant to know that you're engaging with the podcast and enjoying listening to them as much as myself and the guests are enjoying recording them for you. Today we continue our first three-part series by taking one step outwards from Berlin, with a special guest recommended by Susanna, Benny Neymar. Benny is a multidisciplinary artist, diarist, and researcher who's living and working in Paris. Thanks for being part of the program, Benny.
1: Hi, thank you. Thank you, too.
0: You have such a nuanced and multifaceted artistic practice. However, for our conversation today, I would love to focus on your work around kinship and queer family structures especially looking at it through a more than human lens. What is kinship for you and how do you integrate it into your work and life?
1: Yeah, it's a great, very big question. And, you know, I think that kinship has emerged as an image, an idea, a driving kind of image in my practice rather recently, although when I look back at my entire career, I see that it actually has been present all along. It's something that I've been working with without being able to identify it or name it. I think that I've always been interested in relationships, especially love relationships, but not exclusively. I think that humans are really capable of all different kinds of relationships, different kinds of relational forms, but that our culture and society sort of limits them into a few different possible categories like marriage or friend and when in fact i think many different relational forms are possible and you know i come to an interest in kinship through a, a an interest in queerness queerness as a mm, as a method as an aesthetic i have a very keen interest in the way that queers, and by this I mean lesbian and gay, bisexual, transgender individuals, people who do not fit easily into heteronormative models, the way that queers form relationships outside or beyond the kind of reproductive family structures that are valorized and emphasized by dominant culture. I've done a lot of work over the last few years that seek to sort of trace those different kinship forms, those different ways of forming relation, whether it's through different modes of sexual relation that is not necessarily monogamous, that might be more promiscuous, casual, but then also the kinds of kinship forms that happen through shared experiences of resistance and activism, the bloodlines that are formed through HIV transmission, So these other constellations, these other patterns of kinship that are maybe more readily available to queers or that are, that queers are kind of obligated to form, you know, I think another way to look at queer kinship is to look at the ways that traditionally or historically rather lesbians and gays, bisexuals and transgender individuals have been rejected by their families and so are forced to form other kinds of family structures in order to sustain themselves to survive. And that's very sort of well-documented and spoken about. So there's just all of these different ways that kinship happens for queers that are different, that I'm really interested in tracing, looking at, shining a light on, working with as material, and also facilitating and fostering in the artworks that I make.
0: Totally. And also these expanded notions of kinship. I follow the work of author and philosopher Donna Haraway, who also writes quite a lot about kinship in Staying with the Trouble, her text. And her argument there is very much about these heteronormative structures and coupling and how that has really also enabled capitalism and contributed to this disempowerment and segregation of communities And I think that is something that really stayed with me over time, especially from the context of worlding, this expanded notion of how do we build kinship and interrelations between other things and other entities, which is being an ongoing theme for this series. And I think when going through your archive of work, I was really touched by Trees of Fags, the audio work he created in 2018, because in that audio work, which people experience alone with headphones in the presence of trees, you really addressed kinship with also this image of the tree and the branches intertwining and then the rhizomes underneath the ground kind of mating and forming and communicating in all these ways that very much was not binary and not coupled in that way. So I wonder if you could speak a little bit to that also as kind of beginning from this queer perspective and then branching outwards.
1: (laughs) So to speak. Yeah, thanks. It's interesting because when I read Staying with the Trouble, there's so much language that Haraway uses about kinship and what's possible across kin and the importance of making kin that, you know, I really felt excited by and identified with and saw ways that my artistic practice sort of activates some of the methods and ideas that she approaches or proposes, even though she is talking mostly about, like you say, a sort of more than human or interspecies or multi-species alliances and solidarities. My own work and my own interests tends to still be within the human realm, but it's true that trees are fags is sort of the one exception to that, because although it concerns itself very much with queer history, queer modes of relating, it does involve trees as witnesses, participants in a gay sexual cruising cultures. So like you said, it is an audio walk that people listen to on their mobile devices with headphones, and you're invited to listen to it anywhere where trees are in view, ideally in a park or a forest. And the piece sort of takes you on a walk that is based on the aesthetics and affects of cruising, leading listeners along oblique paths, tuning into their sexual subjectivity to make choices about how they move. But ultimately, it makes a series of arguments about the relationship between queer men and trees, proposing etymological and genealogical links between them, between the arboreal world and the gay world, let's say. And it is about trying to both shine a light on the historical relationship that trees have with gay men, but then also, again, to sort of foster... The kinship bond that is already there, to expand it. All the instructions that the listener is receiving about how to move through space, how to activate cruising and sexuality, is not at the service of finding another human lover, which is normally the case when you're cruising, but actually to find an arboreal lover, to find a tree with which or with whom to have a, a sexual encounter That's what I mean when I say that it's trying to facilitate or foster a kind of kinship bond or, yeah, relational bond across species.
0: I really love that. For people that haven't experienced the work, please do. There's a website. Is that right, Benny? Treesarefags.com?
1: It's .eu. It's very European. (laughs) Treesarefags, one word, treesarefags.eu.
0: So if you get a chance, please listen to Trees Are Fags on the website. I had the pleasure of listening to it and was really touched by this moment when the audio narrates this experience and then invites you to establish consent with a tree. And I really had this moment of giving space to the tree and leaning into the exchange there was a really nice sense of timing and understanding that, you know, the tree is not, is not the human that I would shake hands with, perhaps, or that I would negotiate a different type of arousal with eye contact. Like, I was really struck by, ah, how do I attune to something other than myself in this connection? And I thought you did that very beautifully, actually. It was, it was very nuanced.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I mean, this piece is part of a greater body of work that I've made that uses the audio guide, the museum audio guide, as a format. Trees Are Fags is more of an audio walk because it's not in a museum or gallery setting, but it uses a lot of the sort of aesthetics and methods that I've developed for working with museum audio guides. And one of the principles that's become very important to me in the way that I make these alternative, artistic, critical audio guide pieces is to extend subjectivity to the object that is being described, so the artwork, the artifact, to try to destabilize the subject-object relationship that is usually kind of emphasized by museum mediation, that doesn't question The idea that the viewer, the spectator, is the subject, and that the artwork on display is just a sort of inert object. So when it came to Trees Are fags, and the sort of relational bond that I try to facilitate between a listener and a tree, that desire to extend subjectivity to the tree translated into a negotiation of consent especially because of the sexuality of the exchange that I'm trying to foster. You know, how do you establish consent with a tree? And also, why would you? Shouldn't we be able to touch trees and, you know, live in communion with them? And I think that this is where some of the recent questions about the implications of the so-called Anthropocene sort of entered my discourse. And I thought actually, you know, the relationship between humans and trees is really broken. And humans have really come to a point where we believe that we can just touch and grab and take and use and instrumentalize anything that we want. And perhaps as part of a reparative aesthetics, we could try asking a tree for consent and figure out a language in which to do it, a tempo in which to do it. I try to create the conditions for that negotiation of consent, but I also put it in the hands of the listener. I sort of ask the spectator listener to be responsible for their role in that relation.
0: Mm, I think tempo, actually, just to pick up on that word, is very important also because you allow so much space around that question, and it really enables us to perhaps tune into a different tempo, the tempo of another entity. And I know you work a lot with musical forms through your practice, especially with polyphonies. And I think this idea of time and attuning to objects, attuning to different lived experiences, different sexual preferences is kind of an, a thread <laughs> from, from an outsider peeking in at, at your practice. So maybe you could talk a little bit especially to these polyphonies because I think they're just such a strong symbol of these multiple perspectives and incorporating different ways of living and coexisting.
1: Yeah, you know, polyphony is something that I haven't thought about actively for quite a while, I have to admit, but it is a musical texture and a sort of conceptual ideal that has propelled a lot of my work. And like you say, I've made a lot of work that is inspired by musical structures or that is musical. I use a lot of music and Trees Are Fags, for example, has a soundtrack that involves a bassoon and the bassoon becomes a fag too. So there's always a lot of music and references to music. And I think that on one hand, I've just always been attracted to polyphonic singing, where there's a multiplicity of voices that are not necessarily in unison or in harmony, that they each sort of have their own, like I say, subjective position that are sort of weaving in and out with each other. But I have become interested in the way that polyphony as a musical texture is applied to other situations, other contexts. And if you don't mind, I wanted to read a passage from a text by a thinker and art critic named Octavio Zaya, who wrote a very, very beautiful and inspiring description of exactly what it is that polyphony signifies beyond musical that I think speaks to the role that it plays in how I like to imagine kinship and even worlding. Can I read it?
0: (laughs) Yes, please.
1: Okay, so he says, and he's writing about the work of a Russian artist, Slava Mogutin, a visual artist. This concept of polyphony points out to the coexistence of a plurality of voices, whether in a text or in an extra textual situation that do not fuse into a single consciousness, but exist on different registers generating a dynamism among them. It is not heterogeneity as such, but some other angle at which voices are juxtaposed and counterposed so as to generate something beyond themselves. Each one of these voices exists in dialogue with other voices, but not in some kind of tolerance allowing another voice to add itself to a pre-existing entity, but a polyphony of reciprocal, celebratory, and displacing voices, an exchange that leaves all the parties or interlocutors changed. It is not pluralism either, but a multiplication of mutually enriching discourses, It is a constantly shifting cultural field for the contradictions that constitute the subject as the site of conflicting and competing discourses, where the realities of class, gender, and nationality get more complex. So it's very dense, but I find it very rich. And the text is full of other images and words to help think about what polyphonic might be, these juxtapositions, counterpositions, multiplications, mutually enriching, you know?
0: Yeah, and this reciprocity is very strong. I love that. It's like we don't all have to, you know, have the same lifestyle, sit alongside each other, but there is an understanding and a listening, not even understanding. I feel like that word is used too much, more just a spaciousness, perhaps, and a sitting back kind of dropping into the tempo of, I think it's very expansive, actually.
1: And there's room for conflict and competition within there. You know, it's not, it's not <laughs> harmony. You know, it's not like we all get along, coexist, you know. Totally. It's very complicated. It doesn't flatten things out into something sort of simplistic.
0: Mm, it really reminds me again of those roots in the trees These roots continue for so long and they become so complicated and entangled. And it's just such a beautiful metaphor, actually, and then how we can also explore that through the voice as a human receiver and in this reciprocal exchange between sounding and listening, actually. I would love to hear, actually, how listeners could experience your work around kinship and queering. Is there something they could kind of do as a little experiment by themselves or a thought experiment alongside their day to kind of get in the roots, <laughs> get entangled in it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, again, I just want to reiterate that I think that Trees Are Fags, which is only a 20-minute experience, so it's not very demanding time-wise. I do think that it's sort of one of the best ways to sort of tune into the ideas that my work tries to Circulate and ideas and affects and sort of experiences. But I did come up with something that I thought people could do with me right now. Maybe it's about worlding, maybe it's about kinship, but it is definitely about exploring one's subjective position in relation to other objects around you. It doesn't quite dismantle the subject object relationship as I was talking about in my audio guides, but let's just see. It's about tuning into something that is not in view rather than something that is in view. And this is an idea that I was initially inspired by the feminist writer, Sarah Ahmed, who wrote a book called Queer Phenomenology, which is about orientation, about the objects we are oriented to, the people we are oriented towards, sexual orientation. And a queer phenomenology, among other things, is interested not only in the thing that we are supposed to be attracted to, but the things that we're not supposed to be attracted to. Not just the things that are in view, but the things that are on oblique angles or behind us. And that actually inspired a lot of the choreographic cues I use in Trees Are Fags. So I want you to imagine something that is not in view, something that you cannot see from where you're sitting. It can either be something that is actually behind you or just outside the periphery of your vision, or it can be something from your memory, something that you have lost, or something that still has not yet come into being, something that is flickering on the horizon which is an image that I take from Jose Esteban Munoz. He uses something that's flickering on the horizon to describe queer potentiality. But so conjure this object in your mind that you can't actually see, that's not in view physically or in reality. Now I want you to touch this thing, this object that is not in view. And you'll need to use your memories of touch in order to do that. To focus your attention on the sensorial, haptic qualities of the object. Imagine its texture, its weight, Perhaps it has a fragrance. Spend some time with its sensorial qualities. And now stroke that object with all the tenderness and appreciation, all the love and gratitude that is possible.
0: Can I play with you a little bit, Benny, and continue this thought? Yeah. And perhaps to extend it into worlding, the listener could also think about how the object is touching back. Yes. For the reciprocity. How if the object could sound, what sound would be emitting through the pores of the object to intermingle with your pores. And how can you sound back through the tips of your fingertips?
1: Yeah, thank you for that. In fact, I would add, you know, touch the object and let it touch you. Partly as an acknowledgement that any touch is two ways, but also to receive that touch.
0: Totally. That is kind of also this thread in worlding and a lot of these works when looking for consent, you also one have to be mindful of okay, I make the choice to engage in the question of consent and also be open to receiving the answer. I know I'm definitely guilty of that, asking someone, Oh, what would you like to do next? And then answering the question. You know, like not allowing the time. (laughs) It's one thing to ask the question and another thing to take the time to actively decide to receive an answer, or accept if one doesn't come, of course.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it reminds me that consent is processual. You have to keep asking consent in a way. It's not something that is sort of final. When somebody says yes, their mind might change. Things will unfold.
0: I love that, this ongoingness and becoming, to go back to a Haraway term there. Talking about becoming and unravelling, this conversation is coming to an end, unfortunately. However, this conversation will continue in the third part of the string through your recommendation of someone that has influenced your practice or perhaps you think could meander this conversation on a different turn. So who have you lined up for the third part of this conversation, Benny?
1: so the person that i've proposed as the third guest in this string figure is someone who i actually don't know very well his name is erwan and he sort of appeared on the path of my artistic spiritual and and sexual world thanks to the kinds of kinship networks that we've been talking about and the kinds of erotic kin that i think is possible through the world of gay cruising, for example. And so I had a brief, intimate moment with Erwan that I found very special. And I discovered that he's a very interesting creative being as well. And so I thought that even though I don't know him very well, I would send him your way and see how he might contribute to the kind of worlding that you're trying to do with this podcast and the kind of worlding that I wish to contribute to as an artist and a human.
0: I actually had the pleasure of having a a short preparation chat with him and I guarantee listeners, it's a beautiful encounter and I would love you to join us for the next episode. Thanks so much, Benny, for taking the time to contribute to the podcast.
1: Thanks, René.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Worlding Podcast. Gefördert durch die Beauftragte der Bundesregierung für Kultur und Medien im Programm Neustart Kultur. Hilfsprogramm des Tanzen des Dachverband Tanz Deutschland.